welcome to Pod Rocket. So today we have a very interesting episode that we're going to bring you on Node.js and what's happening in the land of Node 18, which is coming out now. So today we have Beth Griggs with us. Uh, Beth is a senior software engineer at Red Hat and part of the Node.js technical steering committee. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the show. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on. So, you know, you, you're working at Red Hat and you're on the Node.js technical steering committee. And my, from my point of view, that those look like two very, you know, separate and intense positions and areas of responsibility for you to uphold. Um, is it kind of like the same job that you do? Or do they one and the same? Yes. So I'm in the, uh, we have a Node.js runtime team uh, at Red Hat. Uh, it was previously at IBM, but I hopped over about 18 months ago. Um, so yeah, my, my whole role is related to both Node, uh, the open source project, and also some Red Hat Node.js focuses. So it's a nice mix of the two kind of priorities. And are you a fan of the JavaScript ecosystem yourself? Love developing yes. it? Because, okay, and, you know, when you're a senior in a senior position, I'm sure you've run through the gamut of languages. So um, it's, it's good to hear that you're working in what you, in what you love in a system that, in an ecosystem you really like. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned in the intro, I'd love to talk about the new Node version that's coming out. I think the, that this is one of the things that kind of flies under the radar unless you're like in the weeds or you're in that senior position where you have to make decisions about, you know, different paradigms that you might change or different languages. So, you know, this is something that I might not look at, but when you go search what's going on, oh, there's a new Fetch API that's coming out. That's huge, right? So, uh, if, if you're listening and you want like the latest updates, let's get into it and, and talk about, you know, what those are. And I'm also curious uh, if we can sprinkle in there how you guys do release cycles mm-hmm. for anybody that's stepping into this and being like, all right, I want to start keeping up with how these things get released. How do I check it and stuff like that? So maybe we could start there with, uh, you know, how you perform the release cycle and your responsibilities. Sure. Yes. So uh, I am a very active member of the Node.js release working group, and they have like delegated responsibility over all of the release policies and processes. So it's our group that really, you know, sets the schedule and prepares the releases and does all that. And the main, the key thing we aim for in the release working group for the release cycle is to be predictable. And this came about probably not long after the IO.js and Node.js merge. they realized it was very valuable to have a predictable release cycle because that helped, you know, the larger enterprises start adopting Node.js because, you know, way back then it was still an early open source project. They were probably used to the Java kind of ecosystems more where they had a predictable release schedule and cadence uh, and the long-term support policies. So that was introduced into Node and we've tried to keep to that Um it can be uh, a little bit complicated if you're not, you're not like reading through the policies every day, but generally um, the policy is odd numbered releases are only ever current and current is what we use. You could kind of think of it like a beta release. It's it's how you get the latest features, how you play with the latest updates and, you know, get your hands on all that stuff. Um, but it's actually the even number of releases which get promoted to long-term support. And those are the kind of uh, release lines you want to be building your you know, enterprise-grade applications on. So what we find is a lot of a lot of businesses like Red Hat and our clients, because they are operating massive deployments, they will stick to the even-numbered release lines and maybe just test against the odd-numbered ones because they're more beta release lines. 
and Node.js 18 is very much exciting um, for particularly for many people because they will adopt Node 18 at some point, probably in October when it reaches long-term support. So it may be the first time they get their hands on quite a, quite a few features. And so that's because, as you were saying, this mechanic of Node 17, which we're all using right now, that's that's the that's the beta. We can think of that as or the beta, yeah. I would say. <laughs> I'm yeah, say, yeah. say beta. yeah, so <laughs> yeah. we can call that beta. So now there's going to be a uh, almost like a two major version shift for the enterprise folks. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Node 18 does seem really exciting. I didn't have. I'm, I probably can't read this at the same level of depth that you can. I did see the Fetch mm-hmm. API was becoming standard, and that's that's huge for me because you know I'm in the serverless and Lambda type of stuff. Um, but I'm sure that is just the tip of the iceberg. So. Uh, if we want to jump right into it, what are some of the features that you're most excited about or you think other folks might be have their eye peeled on? Yeah, so um, in the kind of release announcement, the three key things we tried to put out there is one, the like V8 JavaScript engine upgrade. And so with every major version of Node.js, we tend to upgrade the underlying Google Chrome V8 engine. And it's actually through that update that we pick up some of the JavaScript, you know, language syntax features. Um, I think in these release, because we've gone from, we've gone up to V8 10.1, we've picked up some of like the new array methods, like find last and find last index, those kind of things. So that's always exciting because it's how node developers get their hands on, you know, the new JavaScript language features and syntax. Um, but generally each version of, uh, V8, they'll be working quite a lot. Um, investing a lot of effort into performance improvements and tweaks. So in theory, over time, maybe things like private classes or things will be optimized and slightly differently in new versions of V8. Now, the V8 uh, engine, you said that's coming in a Mm 10.1. So I I don't know much about the V8 engine. Um, What is this this, uh, update we're getting now more of a performance update, more of a... um, you know, a, yeah. a semantics update because I know there have been some years that the V8 engine just like got a ridiculous performance boost or something. So is this a similar year like that, or what's the nature of it? Yeah, I think it's more of a, a typical upgrade. There's no like massive new, to my knowledge, um, mm-hmm. you know, groundbreaking performance change that I know of. But um, it's a it's a mixture. It's like a typical update. What we'd see, we see a few new features. And like the the array APIs being available, and also some performance tweaks and improvements. Gotcha. Okay, and the fetch API. I'd love to talk about that really quick. I know I've mentioned it twice already because it's really exciting. Um, so before you know, I had to pull in a package, um, and now this is one of the things that's just going to be shipped. Um, is mm-hmm. are there any concerns about uh, security of being able to contact different websites directly in the engine, or like it being shipped by default, or is there anything that you think is going to change with the development of the Fetch API? Yeah, so there's quite an interesting story to this one. Um, the Fetch API was introduced um, via the Indici. So it's based on the Indici implementation. And Indici was and how do created... how spell that? Sorry if I may interrupt. Um, U-N-D-I-C-I. Okay, awesome. The um, Italian word for 11, I think, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> um and it's, it's an implementation from the ground up of um, HTTP 1.1. Um, they added the Fetch API into that project. And now we've, in Node 18, we took the decision to expose the Fetch API 
that's based on the implementation that's in that project in Node 18 by default. The It is experimental. So the Fetch API in Node can change. Uh, we have this notion of experimental features. And if you're using those, you should use them with, with it in mind that these things may change based on feedback. But our motivation there is we want to get these features out because people will only tell us what they want from them if they can actually start playing with them and start using them. So that's why we have the experimental status on it. Uh, I believe there is a difference between like node fetch and fetch. Um, certainly, you know, it's early days in the implementation in node. Um, I'm, I'm seeing quite a few feature requests coming in from people saying, hey, this is supported in this package I use. Could it be added to the fetch API that's in node? Um, but generally, the motivation is node saw value in having a fetch API inbuilt. It was very much requested. They are trying to stick to the fetch spec where it not completely, but where it aligns with Node. So some things in the spec may just not make sense in the concept of you know server-side development. But in the places we can align with the spec, that's what they value and aim for. And so this is going to, if you're just a regular user of HTTP 1.1, probably this is going to yeah. cover the majority of use cases, we can assume, right? OK, very exciting. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's to me, its best use case is like, so often I'm creating like little proof of concepts or demo apps where I just need to, you know, get some data into my app and parse it. Having a very simple covering most minimal cases API available by default, I think it will help quite a lot of developers, uh, particularly if they're coming from, you know, the front end space. Conceptually, they will know roughly what a fetch API should do mm -hmm. and they should be able, you know, to hop and pick it up a bit more without having to learn, you know, how would I do this in Node? you know, five years ago. Do you ever worry that uh, there's nodes becoming a little too magic? You know, this is, <laughs> this is, I mean, this is a conversation if you ask somebody that programs in Rust or Go, they're going to go, yes, of course it's too magic. But then you ask the majority of developers who are making really cool stuff and it's like, no, it's great. Uh, what's the perspective from, you know, yourself in the hot seat here uh, on the Iron Throne? Like, do you get a lot of people like asking for things and you're just like that? That's ridiculous. You know, we, we're not even going to consider that. I think there's a mixture. And certainly in, in my experience, I've been in the project maybe about six years in total, um, varying levels of involvement over the years. But I remember when I first started, there was a very big notion of we need to keep Node as small as possible. It has to have the smallest, you know, core possible. We shouldn't add all of these extra, you know, features, even things like the Fetch API, because you can just NPM install them from the FDM ecosystem. So it's kind of a keep it modular sort of? Yeah, modular, like lightweight, customizable runtime. But now actually I have seen that that kind of change um, over the time, at least in the past five years, there seems to be more acceptance that actually having some of these things built into the runtime is helpful, like the Fetch API and the test runner that's now bundled. Because right, we should talk the, about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's really good for the newcomers to Node because choosing which Node module to use is a whole challenge in itself and requires context of the landscape. So if people can just pick up Node and for you know the first time they're building with it or for a very you know, where they don't need all these enhanced features or enhanced customization, if they can just pick up the runtime, that that can make their life easier from learning, from even in enterprise, like 
you often have to verify all your dependencies and get them vetted by your company and get them approved. If you don't need to do that, because you can just have the runtime approved and, you know, build things up from there, that's helpful in that case too. And we're getting to the, the correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're also getting to the, the area with computers and personal, you know, end devices where we can, you have more liber- liberal space to have a bigger runtime if, if that's what needs to be to make the ecosystem stronger. Um, that's something you guys consider? Yeah, it's very much a trade-off. Um, in the project, we have recently tried to define our technical priorities and tr- even try to order them. Um, and I think at the top is developer experience. So we need to look at these things on a you know a weighted basis. If people are coming in saying this API would have this many benefits, yes, it has a cost. Those are the kind of decisions we're making, and you know. We're adding things to improve the developer experience. I think that's our priority. I mean, it's you need the builders. It's kind of like this this thing with the Web three space that's going on. The projects that survive, the projects that have good developer experience, where actually cool things are being built. So, um, yeah, I feel like everybody will vet that decision as a as a really good one just by natural selection. Um, now, yeah, we. Te- I'm just running down some of these things I wrote down looking up at in the Node 18. I didn't know it was like such an amazing update. I'm, as I said, I'm most excited about the Fetch API, but we touched upon the testing suite that's coming through. I'm a huge fan. You know, we there's Mocha, there's all the the Jest, there's there's awesome stuff out there. But tell me about the testing API, the unit testing stuff that's coming out, and you know what what you think about it. Yeah, and that's some great work um, done by Colin, who's also on the Node Technical Steering Committee. Um, contributed a, it's experimental again, so people should use it with with it in mind that it may change slightly. There may be some breakages or breaking changes, but that will be based on the feedback we get. And again, it's a similar motivation, at least I see it, is for a lot of people when they're building very small, you know, prototype apps, which I think Node's perfect for, um, to you know get demos, proof of concepts running, um, quick and easy like front ends, backing some data. I, I think it that's the perfect use case for Node. Um, a lot of the time, though, like some of the only things in their package JSON would be a test run, like a test framework and a linter. So we're looking at these things, thinking if everyone needs one of these could we save a lot of these folks effort by providing something minimal in node core? It's not setting out to be like a replacement for these full of fledged test frameworks, which each have their place. But again, it's for the case where I think from newcomers coming to the language, like would you have the uh, knowledge to choose between Jest and Mocha for your project? I don't know. I don't think you could come to that decision until your project got complex enough that you need a specific feature from one of those, or you know what one would work better. So by providing a test runner that has a minimal interface and you know covers the you know the minimal set of requirements that you need just to test like an API or just to test, I think that's really helpful. It saves that decision making process until people's applications maybe get a bit more complex and they know what they need. They know what additional need they need from a test runner, and then they can go out and find one that suits that need. So the role of this unit test uh, framework is sort of, you know, it, all encompassing for people getting into the language for people that just need to get testing done. 
maybe when you get to the bigger enterprise projects, you're going to want to choose between a fully fledged framework like Mocha or Jest. Yeah, okay, yeah, for gotcha. sure. And like, if you're using building like React type applications, maybe you would lean towards Jest or something like that. Um, but yeah, like, so we want to provide something that's useful universally for like a good set of people, but we're not setting out to like replace all of these great test frameworks that have all the customizations and the more full of fledged features. Gotcha. Okay. That that's a good distinction uh, to make. I wasn't sure if, if I should mm -hmm. change all my Jest stuff over, over yeah. to the new one and try it out. Um, is are there any features in this release coming out that you're you think are really cool or novel that we didn't talk about so far? I know there are more. I know there are more, but I just wonder from your perspective. Um, yeah, to be honest, I think to me when I'm talking about the release, the fetch one is going to be so useful for so many people, and also the test runner. Those are the two key ones I always tend to call out. Um, our, our release process is kind of interesting because when we get to like 18.00, a lot of the changes that were included in that initial Node 18 release are the breaking ones. And they're often, breaking changes aren't often the interesting ones. It's the Semver Minor, so the featureful um, mm -hmm. releases that pick up all the new features. And we ship current releases every two weeks. So every two weeks, you could be picking new features up with the current release line. So, so sometimes I feel there's an expectation that like, hey, no D teams come out with all of these new features. Some of the ones we talk about actually have been released in like 17.10 or the most recent 17 release because we are shipping features um, every two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, we get a lot of like hype around the Node 18 zero, zero release, but when you look at the breakdown, that the things that are queued up waiting to go into 18 are the things that have breaking um, breaking changes or breaking consequences. So they may it they may not be as exciting, all of the other things that you see listed in that exact change log, but that's because we've been picking these features up. Right, so I, I guess we could say all those other features that have been picking up, now it's putting the rubber stamp of approval. Like you're shipping the PR now, yeah. okay. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Podrocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. Do you, is there anything that didn't get in there that you feel like should have been in there? Yes, there was, there was, I, I was preparing the release and up until I tried to set like a release freeze seven days before the release. And then like four days before people like opened the PR, we really, this cool new feature is going to hopefully make it in. And I was waiting to see if I had enough time to merge it in. One of those that just missed, just missed the cut was a parse arguments um, API. So typically you'd use something like, you know, is it YARGs or something to parse um, command line arguments. Again, there's been a lot of work um, from a great group of people um, prototyping what a parse argument API would be in Node. And they opened a PR to actually get it merged into Node with the view of hopefully getting it into 18.00, but just about missed it. 
Um, but actually, that should be in a new release, you know, in the next couple of weeks, probably in two weeks' time, because even though that feature missed 1800, it's not breaking, it's Semble Minor. We'll just ship it in like 18.3 or something like that. But that, again, that's a similar motivation. It's a simple command line argument parser because that's a very common, common, you know, action that people need to do in their programs. So shipping a minimal version of it by default helps fix that. Do you ever get angry people? People who say, listen, you know, my thing should have been in there and uh, <laughs> Beth didn't let me. So I'm mad at Beth. <laughs> <laughs> not not so much um i think i think people are mostly quite respectful of the release of time um if the release says look i do not have the time to you know update the release on a saturday redo builds part of that is we run a tool called um canary in the gold mine which is called we shorten it to sitchin on every release we've got like a hundred npm modules that we run their test suites for so that we can test whether we've broken like the ecosystem. Wow. So we've got the obvious things like Express in there. And that that takes like three hours right. to run. And then you've got through the results. It's like, yes, you might say, hey, can we quickly squeeze this PR in? But the consequence for the release is like, we've got to rerun all our release testing. We've got to rerun all our smoke testing. We have to go through the results, rerun the builds. So to, to me, people don't really get angry because normally, normally the things can just wait until the next Semver minor release, which will only for current will only be two weeks away. Um, yeah, a few things have missed it, but they've normally missed it because consensus hasn't been reached and the no project does value, you know, having those discussions because we don't want to land things, revert them, you know, break a bunch of folks um, because we haven't had those lengthy discussions. Talk about past. exhaustive when it comes to running your tests. <laughs> <laughs> That's you're really running through. Yeah. You, you got to be sure. I mean, you really hold a lot of responsibility. I'd say the majority of the world runs off of this ecosystem in some part of the business, right? So uh, mm -hmm. do you ever feel nervous being in this position of actually going into the weeds with scissors <laughs> and cutting down the grass that's yeah. just an inch too tall so the lawn looks nice? Yeah, yeah. It's it's when... Um... I remember the first time, like, we literally have a script that's like promote release and it's like yes or no. <laughs> and I remember the first time, like, pressing yes on that. It was quite, quite nerve wracking. Um, our processes are pretty, pretty sturdy to the point where if something did go wrong, we know that we can, you know, revert mm -hmm. the commit, do a follow up patch release. We like, I'm confident enough, I know the path to res resolving most of these things. Um, the nervousness does come from having these discussions and sometimes we're trying to guess the impact of what some of the decisions we're making will be. Um, but then we do have tooling that helps with that, like that tool I mentioned, Sitchin, where we test a bunch of the, you know, 100 most popular modules to see whether they are, we're going right. to break everyone. So these discussions, um, who, who, who are the other people discussing? Do you guys sit around like a big round wooden table with pints of beer? Like, how does that work? The Node Project works on a consensus-based model. Uh, so anyone in any PR could go in and say, I have concerns, I'm going to block this. And we then have to work through the resolution process. Uh, that is partly why we have a technical steering committee. And in general, in my experiences, 
we don't like things to fall onto the technical steering committee. It's kind of an escape hatch for when consensus can't be reached among the community, the wider community, all of the contributors, all of the collaborators. And actually, I prefer consensus to be reached among those groups because you're bringing in people with sometimes more context. For example, when the test runner um, pull request, having, you know, maintainers from some of the other test frameworks being involved in that discussion is very valuable. And um, they can, you know, raise points that maybe the no core folks haven't appreciated. Um, so our pattern is we're trying to reach consensus in a pull request or in a commit. If it really can't be reached, it will go to the technical steering committee. We 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 meet weekly and talk about um, you know, any any PRs that are being blocked because someone objects to them. Generally, we don't try to go to a vote. Um, we will try to find a path to resolution. But if we can't, we do get to the point where we vote on an issue. Um, the TSC will say who prefers option A or option B, and the result of that vote will be what what happens in the community. But we do we we try to avoid that. Actually, um, we prefer consensus to be reached amongst. It's sort of community. like there. It's like a you know typical decentralized open source project, and you want it to function in that holistic way, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it 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 can be great, but it can also be exhausting for some folks because, like, you know, your PR could span a massive discussion that takes a long time to work through. But I personally see that as a feature, particularly with the age of Node and where it's at and where it's being used. Um, if something is controversial, we should have that discussion, and having that discussions to me, a feature of having mm -hmm. so many people involved in the project. It's like a global vetting process on top of the technical steering. All right, yes. gotcha. Um, yeah. Now, th this might be a little uh, not directly in line with just the, v the V8 <laughs> engine and stuff, but I just did a, a podcast recently talking about WebAssembly. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's some really exciting stuff coming out there, you know, in-browser databases. Uh, things that let you query really fast, things that let you stream really fast. I know there's streams API update coming with this one. What What's the way you guys view WebAssembly coming onto the block and the role of Node.js working with WebAssembly or against it? Yeah, so I think generally like Node.js seen, is seen as a complementary technology with like everything that's happening in WebAssembly. Um, the Node project does have a library, the web... Um, it has some WebAssembly system interface APIs so that you can, you know, load and execute and interact with your WebAssembly applications through Node. Um, so it is it is of interest to us. Um, we think Node's in a good place to complement everything that's happening in, you know, that space. Right on. Yeah, the because the types of benefits that are coming with WebAssembly are they're wild. I, the, I, the gentleman who was on the podcast, uh, Andre, a, a few days ago, he was saying, you know, the amount of speed up we're going to get with these dynamic front end applications and stuff. It just, you can't not have it moving forward with the big amount of data coming yeah. out. So it's great to hear that you're coming from a situation or a perspective of we want to work together. We want to continue to make these complementary, complementary technologies. Yeah, I think there was also some discussions, I'm not sure where they led, around whether we could, you know, use WebAssembly within mm -hmm. Node Core and to get some speed enhancements. Um, 
in those certain places where it makes sense. Um, but I believe I believe those discussions are still happening. Gotcha. At this point, okay. So. Is there anything you think um, is too messy in Node right now that maybe it didn't make it into the release? <laughs> But it's on the roadmap of like we want to clean this up, or this API needs to be like changed um, very quickly because it's getting too outdated. Um, I think just generally, so the Node project doesn't have a roadmap as such. So we're not, we don't have a list of priorities or a list of features that we want to land. So I think that fact in general can make it quite hard to follow what's next. Generally, what what lands in, in a release will be what folks have or contributors have invested effort in to contribute. So they may be contributing because they're representing a need from a client they know, for example, at Red Hat. If we were speaking to lots of customers and they said this API would be really useful for us, we could then go and contribute that API. But then otherwise it could be just, I have an interest in, you know, creating something and someone will just put a PR and add something else. Not knowing exactly what features are coming up can be slightly confusing and slightly hard to untangle. Um, we are trying to fix that slightly. We have kicked off a next 10 effort and the next 10 effort was kicked off with a view of saying, you know, Node's had a really successful first decade or so what would Node need to have in the next 10 years to continue to you know, have the success it's had in the past years and the future years? Um, and in that group, we are getting together, talking about features, technical priorities. Um, some of the, when we have had like mini summits, like virtual summits, where we've had two or three hour sessions where we've talked about um, WebAssembly, for example, we will have a WebAssembly session and, see, and ask ourselves, what can we offer in Node to complement this technology? Or what do we need to do to stay, even stay competitive? We have competitors now. I think that's a great thing. You know, there are other runtimes, innovations happening in other spaces. We can look to see what they're doing to see what, you know, our wider developer ecosystem wants. And and if if it's proved out in other runtimes that it makes sense for Node, that's great because we know it's, it's going to be valuable. So do you see that, you know, this conglomeration of all the packages that, or I want to say runtime improvements that you're bringing in, um, is this also motivated in any way by the security of the ecosystem? Uh, we had a show a few weeks ago talking about uh, your source, your source uh, packages. And as you said, when you're an enterprise, you really want to make sure you're bringing in the right code from the right repos. And there was the faker JS problem. And, and stuff like that. So is this in any way reactionary to this sort of like move in the ecosystem? Or was it purely, uh, you know, oh, it's there's newcomers, it's convenience-based, we want to improve the core API? Um, I think there's been, like, particularly in the context of security, I think every, every few months we get quite a high-profile NPM, you know, problem or attack that's happened um, in a high-profile high dependency. And I think there's actually been discussions in Node space for quite a few years about implementing like policies on what you load and how you can verify dependencies. We've got folks from NPM involved in the Node Core project. So they're obviously focused on improving some of these issues. Um, so yeah, I'd say like 
most folks in the community are aware of these problems. We have some significant efforts um, around how we can improve the security, the security model and dependencies. Um, lots of various efforts going on in different places. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely played a part. Right. And there there's a lot of new tech coming out to help play that part. That seems very interesting, too. Um, <laughs> there's this one visualization I saw where it shows all of your packages in one cube kind of and you can see how big they are by how big that little cube is and like how they're linked together never seen something like that before so it, it, it gives me security thinking about you know I don't know where these packages are coming from and if I can pull in the, the fetch API right there you don't even have to get it I don't care who's posting it because it's right yes. there yeah and that's I think that's an unspoken really cool feature of bringing things into the runtime yeah and it is, it's interesting you mentioned that because that's that's a key problem we're trying to tackle at red hat and that's one of my more red hat fixes to try and work through um this problem of understanding your dependencies understanding what makes sense to be used in a production enterprise grade environment um so what the way we've tackled that problem at red hat is we're trying to produce um a reference architecture where we have an in, kind of like some just internal guidelines of good defaults. Um, for example, for a web framework in our um, reference architecture, we say, if you have no reason to use anything else, Red Hat clients and Red Hat teams have had a lot of ex experience and success with using Express. So here is a good default. It's, it's not trying to say you must always use these exact, you know, tools to build your applications but the way we're approaching that problem at red hat and the enterprise is by looking at what experience we have within the org what case studies we have actual examples of applications that are running well and highly scalable and we're saying what are they using let's 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 stick define those as good defaults um and and going from it from that to try and solve part of that problem have you heard of um socket.io uh briefly yes briefly it kind of what i was talking about with the cubes which is like i don't know just the front end piece of that but it does exactly kind of like what you're uh what you're talking about which is like you know how is this package maintained like who's been pushing to it how much does it get downloaded how many bugs are raised and it gives you a quantitative view yeah that's really neat uh i think it's a huge problem that's not tackled enough yeah yeah that's the that's the slight difference um what we found is a lot of modules on npm were maybe very popular like five or ten years ago still getting millions and millions of downloads but when you actually look into it it may not be maintained um you know its last release might have been three or four years ago it might have security vulnerabilities in there um one of the key the key determinations what we make at Red Hat of whether a module is good to build on top of is how many contributors are there to it? Would you want to build an enterprise grade application on a project that's controlled by one single individual? Would you rather, you know, build on top of a community owned framework that's, you know, got open governance? Um, this is where the OpenJS Foundation, which is the foundation that Node sits in, is beneficial because you have um, a bunch of projects in there that are committed to having a neutral open governance foundation so you're not 
when using these projects, you have some confidence that they're not just going to be controlled by like a single vendor, a single person who could, you know, one day deprecate or they can make a change and you may not have a say in that change. Um, so we tend to lean towards community own frameworks where you've got lots of people from lots of different companies contributing much like node itself now before we're running up on time here uh, we're past the 30 minute mark before i ask you for links and shout outs and things you want to give i have a specific request for a resource uh, to mention where would a listener viewer go if they wanted to learn more about the system of governance that surrounds node.js there's a lot of foundations and bodies and groups of developers and you can search up who's in charge of the release cycle and you'll get a few answers and you know will probably be pointed to the technical steering committee and um, among other folks um is there some place where you can kind of get a rundown about you know these are the parties involved these are kind of like how things work yeah for, for node i think we have um in our github repository i think we have a governance like markdown file to try and describe some of that um but also you You'd probably need to look at the Node.js Technical Steering Committee repository, um, where we have our charter and our policies in there, and that describes some of the working groups that we have. Um, we have this notion of working groups where a working group has delegated responsibility for an area. The release working group has delegated responsibility, which means they own the release process, they own the release policies, they make the decisions in that space. But another place to look would be probably the OpenJS Foundation's website, which is openjsf.org. Um, that would describe more of um, what the foundation provides us as a home for the Node.js project. So we'll just say there's the governance markdown file. There's the OpenJS F yeah. for foundation with the F at the end. Okay, great. And then the yep. technical steering committee uh, repo. Okay, awesome. Yep. And now your turn. Uh, is there any links you'd want to give or like any socials you'd want to post or shout outs you would want to inform our viewers about? Um, uh, I think it'd be a great to advertise that the OpenJS Foundation is hosting um, its OpenJS World Conference um, in June and it's going to be in Austin. And there's going to be lots of great talks there and videos um, after the fact should be published on their channel. And there'll be a lot of people heavily involved in the OpenJS Foundation projects, talking there, talking about their projects. I think there's a keynote from um, Ferros talking about uh, Socket.io as well. So um, lots of interesting stuff to follow there. Um, one of my key calls to action whenever I'm talking about a release is what is great is if while Node 18 is in its current phase, so the six months from April to October, to play with the release and tell us if things are broken. Um, because if you're struggling to upgrade, it may have been a mistake. We may not have meant to make, you know, that change might have been a side effect of something else that wasn't intentionally intentional. So give us feedback on the release, do it in the Node.js node repository or the Node.js help repository even, because that really helps us mature the runtime so it works for our end users. Okay, Beth, well, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast, educating me and everybody else about, yeah. uh, you know, some of what's going on behind the curtain and how you, how you think and operate about, you know, this awesome ecosystem where we build awesome stuff. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. We'll see you around. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.